Welcome everyone. I'm Dr. Sam Humphrey from Grit Limited and you're listening to the Coaching Stories podcast. This podcast builds on the groundbreaking book, Coaching Stories, Flowing and Falling of Being a Coach, that I co-authored with my great friend and colleague, Karen Dean. Today's guest is Tamsin Hartley. Welcome to Coaching Stories, Tamsin. Hello, thank you for inviting me. So Tamsin is, um, you're a coach, an author, you've authored two books, a trainer and a workshop facilitator. And you and I met um, quite a few years ago now, actually, when a good friend of mine recommended that I come on one of your courses, which I really did enjoy it. And I still use the techniques today, which is great. Um, Although I'm not sure I was necessarily the best student, but there's no surprise. There's no surprise there. Um, Your work, Tamsin, covers several areas. So could you share perhaps what part coaching plays in your current portfolio? So, yeah, I um, I do a mix of coaching or for associate coaching for an organisation that offers coaching for adults within neurodiversity uh, in the workplace. I also have individual clients um, that come from various sources. Um, I, I bring my coaching approach to the uh, courses that I run, to the trainings that I run. So I would say that it um, stretches broadly throughout my life. And I, I also use it with permission, mm-hmm. with my children, with my family. Um, I, I think the with permission is a really important piece of that. Yes. Yes. I have seen and experienced a lot of car crashes where people have tried to coach without permission, yeah. friends friends and family. So, yes, that's a, that's a really, really important point. Yeah. Um, we have had a bit of a conversation about how we can run this uh, this episode. Um, the way you work, Tamsin, doesn't fit uh, in a cookie cutter way around um, a flowing story and a falling story. Uh, however, I still think that is what, you know, the way you approach work is fascinating, it's different. And I think people would really love to hear uh, a bit more about how you approach your coaching work. Yeah, so um, I guess I see myself primarily as a modeler. And by that, I mean, I'm facilitating someone to figure themselves out. And that might involve a bit of education, and it will also involve asking questions. And it might be um, that I invite them to settle their neurology in order to be able to engage um, their prefrontal cortex. And by that, I mean that more sort of if someone's in a very alarmed state, it may be that they need some tools to settle the more reactive amygdala before they can um, self-regulate and engage that more choiceful kind of thinking. So, um, but I am primarily, I see myself as a modeler. Okay. Could you maybe, just for those who are perhaps not familiar with the term, could you maybe say a little bit more about the amygdala? Okay, so uh, you could, in a very simplified way, um, divide, uh, sort of identify different job descriptions that two key areas of the brain play. Your amygdala, uh, if, if you like, more primitive part of your brain, um, is involved with survival, protection, keeping you safe. 
uh, and it generates a more reactive kind of thinking. Uh, it puts you into fight, flight, freeze um, if you perceive threat. Uh, whereas your prefrontal cortex is uh, involved in higher level thinking, mm-hmm. uh, executive function, planning, organization, forward thinking, um, making choices. The language of the amygdala would be more, I have to, I've got to, I must. Right. The language of the prefrontal cortex would be, I choose to. I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, absolutely. No, that that's that's great. That's great. And so when when you're um, preparing for a coaching uh, session, say a little bit more about about what what goes on there, your process. So one of the um, really central models that I like to use in the coaching um, work that I do is the drama triangle, uh, the work of Stephen Cartman. And he identifies, or my take on this is that he uh, that when things aren't working the way that you would want them to, there's a chance that one of three roles are kicking about beneath the surface um, or maybe very evident to you in that moment. Victim, mm-hmm. persecutor, rescuer. And I guess the strongest pull for many coaches is to go into rescuer. Yes. Wanting to make better, feeling they've got to get their clients to a particular position, that they've got very useful insights or perspectives that their client ought to hear. The problem is, if you go into any degree of rescuer, you are inviting, by definition, you're inviting your client into the position of victim, which is a position of disempowerment. Mm -hmm. So I'm really, and actually this is probably because of my background as a physiotherapist and uh, having a very strong sense of embodied work. Um, I worked as a physio in the NHS for 10 years in the area of neurology. So I have a very strong sense of when I'm pulled to rescue. Yes. And I have to check really carefully. You know, if I've gone into rescue, I've gone into my drama brain, my amygdala kind of thinking. And um, there's a risk that the boundaries of the work that I do with the client is going to get very confused and unhelpful. Mm. So I've got a real strong sense. I can feel it in my body as soon as I get pulled to rescue. And so if I give an example now, there's a client who's approached me who's struggling with a really strong anxiety, not sleeping. And I can feel myself thinking, oh, I've got to make it better for them. I've got to, I, you know, I can feel that in me and I can listen to the internal dialogue. And that's a really strong warning for me that I need to go back into modeler's head, modeler's mindset and um, and think about if I work with this client, being really clear about the boundaries and being clear about I am facilitating them to help figure themselves out. I'm going to give them some tools uh, that will hopefully help them manage that anxiety it is not for me to make that better for them Mm. Mm. that that's made me or reminded me about um conversation that john whittington had when i attended one of his constellation workshops and he talked about the difference between coaches being helpful and useful and i loved this distinction and he talked about how being helpful 
in your language, you're starting to step a little bit into rescuer then, and that 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 can be disempowering for somebody. I mean, it is it is semantics, and you have to decide for yourself what word captures that uh, experience. I I differentiate between rescuing and helping, and um, helping, as I define it, you know, uh, is that it's a choiceful act, both for you as the person going and offering your help and for the person receiving the help. Mm. The uh, choicefulness is the key element there because mm. it's very easy when you go into rescue, either that it's not choiceful on behalf of the person receiving the help or it might not be fully choiceful on your behalf. There's a pull there yes. that's, yeah. that's um, generated from a you know discomfort in yourself. So how how do you regulate that, Tamsin? So you say you talked about having a very strongly developed sense of when you're being pulled into potentially being pulled into drama. Um, so say a bit more about how you notice that and manage it. So how I notice it is usually um, I feel a pull in my chest and I can feel a pulling down towards my solar plexus. So I get a very strong sense of that. And um, and I also almost feel a physical pull towards the person, even even if I'm not in the same place as them, but where I imagine them to be. So I I feel a, a, a it's almost a physical pull. Mm. And for me, that's a that's a cue to physically step back. I may actually have to literally step back, even though we might not be in the same <laughs> geographical space, and question myself. Ah, okay. This is what's happening for me. Let me just check. Is this, do I set it, need to set a different boundary? Do I need to say, question, you know, I'm not sure if this is the, the best place, but it enables me to come back to the client with curiosity and to check what's happening for you. Or, you know, this is what I am uh, think I'm prepared to offer. Uh, or I'm, we can try this and see how it goes. But I'm always checking that that comes from a place of fascination and curiosity rather than obligation and drama. Mm. Um, so, yes, I have that. It's a very useful. Um, <laughs> there's, it's, it's, a, it's an alarm. And um, I had uh, there was a, a really useful metaphor shared with me in some work that I'm learning about and this person said you can have an alarm that is an alarm of danger um like a fire alarm mm. you can have an alarm like a an alarm clock that wakes you up so it's almost like it starts as a fire alarm saying well there's something not right here and it becomes a, a, an alarm clock that says i need to wake up to something in me or to something in the relationship between the client and myself mm. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because actually, as a coach, being in a state of conscious, unconscious competence is actually, you know, potentially fraught with risk. Um, so, so being in um, conscious competence is, uh, is is quite a challenge in a coaching session if you get completely, you know, uh, immersed in the present, but you, the, you know, it's staying present and not not losing that sense of absolutely as you've said being awake in in the session yes yes 
and and so I use my somatic sensing as a way that my mind if people not I mean the, the feelings the sensations in my body uh because that's the first the first um indication mm. that comes before the thoughts uh, and uh, you talked about um uh about uh being curious um with with clients and you also used the word awe in our uh, ha- having a state of awe as well with uh with clients how how do you prepare yourself for that um i think that's partly process led actually i think i know that that's going to come when i take this modeling approach but also i use a lot of modeling using clean language and uh clean language questions um, and so I, I don't know if your listeners know about clean language, but it's a way of asking questions that help to prevent you from contaminating the conversation with your assumptions, with your suggestions. And you it's quite simple. You just use repeat back some of their words and ask one of these questions that was set of questions that was created by a guy called David Grove. Um, and I use them in a particular way that invites metaphor. I mean, they, that's the other element of clean language. So I use a simplified, what I call a listening space. And so I know that when I use questions in that way, the curiosity is going to, and fascination is going to follow. And perhaps, I don't know if it's helpful to give an, an example, a, a client's story. Yes. That will, yeah. Okay. So. And, you know, there's it curious, curiosity and potential confusion and discomfort because I have no idea where it's going to go. Mm. But I trust that the information that arises from using these questions and um, and bringing this modeling approach, I trust that, they, that they're just, you know, useful information is going to arise. Um, and so one example uh, is of a client that I was asked to uh, see that, working that's worked in the bank a young woman who is dyspraxic and finds it difficult to concentrate and that's a she's got lots of skills um interpersonal strengths but concentrating at the end of the day loss of concentration meant that she was on performance review because she was making some cash errors right nightmare You've got 15 minutes at the end of the day to cash up. If you make a mistake, you've got to stay behind. Your manager's got to stay behind. So concentration was something that we explored with these questions. And concentration for her became this metaphoric glass box that she could construct around herself. And what that enabled her to do was that it meant that she could see people, which she wanted to be able to do, but it blocked out the sound. And she was quite specific. It was about two or three inches thick. And so she'd do this at the end of the day. Mm. As a result of that, no more cash errors. And not only that, she went on to pass her driving theory test after four failed attempts. She put this glass box up and actually she realised that it didn't need to be quite so thick over time. Now, the thing about the clean questioning and the fascination is I there's no way I could have said to her, what you need to do is yes. metaphoric glass box. Or if I had found my own metaphor... It wouldn't have been as effective as hers. So these questions create an inherent fascination because this story unfolds in front of you as a coach that just is a perfect fit solution to their situation. And this thing kind of thing happens time and time again. And I can give other stories around that, but it's, um, yeah, 
So I think that probably is my main tool, if you like, for fascination and for curiosity and for trust. Okay. Could you talk about a time when you, and I guess what people can't see, Tamsin, is when when you talk about being pulled into uh, drama, you are, there's quite a lot of physicality about this. So you are literally moving closer to the screen. You have your hands on your chest. You're you're moving that forward, which, which, you know, really, really helps build this picture of your spidey senses as I call them yes noticing that you're being pulled in into drama yes can you share a time when you were being pulled in and and uh, you know perhaps uh, because you are a supervisor and you go to supervision but something that lingered long enough for you to think "Mm, I want to unpack that or explore that a bit more um yes I can (laughs) Um, so it, this was a client um, who it was a first client for an organization that offers coaching for adults with neurodiversity in the workplace in a corporate environment. So, first of all, it wasn't a familiar environment for me. And, uh, you know, I was working used to working within the NHS. If I'd gone into a hospital setting, that would have been a familiar territory for me. So I was already probably in a state of alarm I, you know new coaching working so yeah. I was having to work hard to regulate myself and I arrived there and it was at some headquarters corporate headquarters and my expectation was that I was going to be met by someone in a suit right looking smart and I wasn't this person was disheveled and smelt of alcohol and uh, I, it just wasn't what I was expecting. And I was, uh, uh, I could feel this sort of internal sense of panic, um, almost. And I managed that in the moment. And we had a coaching session. He'd actually come in on his day off. And I wouldn't say that the coaching session itself was, uh, it, you know, there was useful work that we did. But I was very aware that the boundaries were um stretched and that it was inappropriate for him to be coming in or for us to be coaching and I didn't want this to happen again but I knew that I was in drama so I went to my supervisor and I said look this is what happened Um, and I knew that it needed to be taken care of and she was able to supervise me and uh, as a result of that or sort of you know unpick the situation with me as a result of that um I called him and explained that, you know, this was my concern, um, that I wanted to check and find out what was happening for him and that it wasn't, you know, that I needed to be clear if he, uh, if I was concerned in any subsequent situation, uh, coaching sessions that uh, he was um, at risk of being under the influence of alcohol, that was a no-go, yeah. that we weren't going to continue with the session. Uh, I, so, yes, it was just so unfamiliar for me, but I knew instantly. I just... I uh, didn't handle it within that two-hour session mm. uh, at the very outset. Uh, that was too much of a stretch for me at that time. In the end, we did some fascinating work together. And um, I think it was very, the sessions were very fruitful. And I learned a lot, and I think he learned a lot. Mm. But that initial uh, real discomfort that I had around the boundaries there, I don't mm. know if that yeah, no, absolutely. What that's also making me curious about, Tamsin, is is 
chemistry or introductory meetings. Do you, I presume you have those with with clients. You have that those sort of one off introductory meetings to agree whether or not you're good a good set to work together. Well, this yes, yes, um, and. In this situation, it was associate work and it was a client who's been allocated to me. Right. So um, it's a kind of different introduction it's, and very different kind of clients that I would say, uh, not always, but it in the privilege of it was that I got to work with people who would not have presented to coaching otherwise, I suspect, mm. working at very different levels um, within organisations. So... Um, so he wasn't high level corporate. He was working in the, uh, you know, admin role mm. within the organization. Um, so the chemistry, uh, yeah, a lot of the referrals would come through access to work. Right. And so uh, uh, identifying what the outcomes of the coaching was going to be was often done within that first session mm. and done ongoingly. Okay, so so that's that's making me curious about, you know, what what would what would have you not work with a client? In terms, of, so if I take this example um, of a current person who's approaching me now and is really high levels of anxiety, I think after that first session together. Um, I'll have a stronger sense if if the, if we've made an impact in that first session, um, if I'm clear about what the offering might be. Uh, but in that conversation, um, being clear about what the boundaries of what's the way that we would work together and also mm. getting a sense of really is this person in too much distress to be able to take on board the kind of work that we might do. Mm. Um, getting clear about what they're wanting. Mm. And sometimes that's not possible until you've had that conversation, I think. Mm. And I, the other thing I'm curious about, I guess, with recent events of lockdowns and, and all the rest of it, um, is is there is there a difference for you uh, in terms of how you self-regulate, how you notice this being, being pulled uh, when it happens? Is there a difference for you between in-person or virtual? Good question, and I don't think so. I certainly feel it very strongly, even if we're online together. Um, I don't think so. There are different safety issues around going into somebody's organisation, working, going into that. Sometimes it involved um, going to uh, to their house, to their office, at home to work when it was in person but there were safeguarding policies set in place to manage yeah. that uh, so that's a different issue really I think I think the sense is strong whether we're working online over the telephone in in person it's such a useful thing because it stops you getting into stickiness way down the line into thinking Right. Okay. I'm. I think once you go into drama, you're losing choices as a coach. You're at risk of losing choices. Mm. Um. I think. Mm. Great. Okay. So we we uh, 
established in our earlier conversation, as I say, that that, that you were not going to offer a, um, a traditional flowing story and a traditional falling story. I found this conversation really fascinating, Tamsin, and having experienced how you work, um, you know, that this, I hope people can hear um, that this is a different approach and whether, let them figure out whether or not that might be something that they want to want to try, try out. Um, I'm really grateful for you being prepared to come on and, and share your experiences, how, how you work um, and, you know, be vul vulnerable and generous in, in how you've told those stories. So thank you. Pleasure. So that's it for today's episode. Um, I really hope that Tamsin's stories have given you pause for thought as you continue to experience your own flows and falls and also thinking about how you approach your work. I'm Dr. Sam Humphrey. Thank you for listening to Coaching Stories.